Tuesday edition getting underway on the home of Sooner fans, the Rep Radio Network. Great to have you with us. Thanks again to our sponsor during our opening hour last year, Home Comfort Systems. Great job they'll do for you. They've done it for us at uh, my place, and they'll do the same for you. If you're looking for repair uh, or to replace or maintain your air conditioning system, call Lasher Home Comfort Systems. They're family-owned and operated. Great Sooner, great company, Tim Lasher. You can give them a call at 579-3113. That's 405 405- 579-3113, Oklahoma, West Virginia tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC. The Sooners must win out, must win a game, I think, at the Big 12 tournament. It could very well be West Virginia in the 8-9 matchup. So uh, senior night for the Sooners tonight as well. Interesting senior night, Parker, because you definitely have Marvin Johnson. You have Ethan Shagwa, you have Jordan Goldwire, and uh, Porter Moser was talking yesterday about the Mo Gibson situation because he's got a COVID year, uh, and it sounded like he was going to go through the festivities because you never know, he could go overseas or something like that. That could be a possibility if he wants to do that. But he was saying, you know, we may just do a, a, you know, a ceremony, and we have to do a ceremony next year. We can do that too. So it's going to be ist- mm. interesting. Uh, what happens with senior night tonight? We I, definitely know Marvin Johnson, Shagwa, Ethan Shagwa, and Jordan Goldwire tonight for OU. I tell you what, Mike, that makes me believe that Mo Gibson's not going to be back next year. It really does, and I understand that you know Porter Moser wants to sell that as oh, you know, we don't we don't know, you know, if if he comes back next year, we'll just do it all over again. I don't think you go through senior night, Mike, unless you are absolutely certain that you're moving on. Which is, it's strange to me because you can't imagine at this point in time that Mo Gibson is in a place where he's going to get drafted in the NBA. And if you want to go play overseas, fine. But I think with the season he's had, an extra year in the Crimson and Cream would A, do this team a lot of good, and B, I think it would do him a lot of good. And so that's a, that's a very interesting development. And yeah, I, I understand. To see what, I don't think they've made a final decision based on what I heard Porter say. I guess we'll find out tonight for sure, right? And uh, I, I kind of like the way you're leaning. If, you know, uh, Porter again said, well, you know, here's the deal. He could play overseas or something like that. And you can make some good money playing basketball overseas sure. professionally, no doubt. And if he decides to do that. Maybe it's wise that he goes through senior night festivities tonight with his family and gets honored. But, you know, if he comes back, Porter Moses said, eh, no big deal, we'll do it again. So, we'll see. But it's going to be very curious. We know that Tanner Groves has another year. He's coming back. Elijah Harkless is coming back. Obviously, Jacob Groves, uh, you know, we knew that uh, he was a year behind his brother anyway. So, But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Mo Gibson for sure. I think he's a guy, again, if he wants to go overseas, can make some money. Maybe he ends up getting back to the States and plays in the G League. And He's a really good shooter, right? That he is. Uh, it's been hot and cold. Certainly has been better in Norman. But the bottom line is this is a huge game for Oklahoma tonight. As we said, uh, their hopes in the NCAA tournament, there is a very small, puny light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and the Sooners are trying to get there, but to do that, man, you've you've got to win three games, I think. I think as I think about Umoja Gibson and his career arc in Norman, I see parallels to the Austin Reeves situation. And that's part of the that's part of why I think it would do Mo Gibson so much good to come back for another year. Because consider for a moment 
the path that Austin Reeves followed. Right, He was a transfer from Wichita State. When he was a shocker, he was pretty much just a spot-up shooter. He was a guy that was a, you know, they they call him the 3 and D type of player. And when Austin Reeves got to Oklahoma, by necessity, he had to take on more of an active role as an on-ball guard. And it got to the point where towards the end of Austin Reeves' junior season, he started to get good at creating his own shot. All of a sudden, that was the facet of his game that kind of came into focus, was the ability to create his own shot. By the time his senior year rolled around, he had honed that aspect of his game to the point where he was arguably Oklahoma's best offensive weapon, Mike. And so, to me, I think I think Mo Gibson's getting to that point as well. He's gotten very good over the course of the last couple of months at starting to create his own shot. You give him another year to really refine that aspect of his play, I think Emoji Gibson could be a guy that, much like Austin Reeves, catches on with an NBA team somewhere right out of college. Yeah, and uh, Austin Reeves has been really good for the Lakers. Yes, he has. Uh, no doubt. He surprised me, you know, number one, making the roster. Number two, he's had uh, game-winning shots for them. He's played really well uh, for the Lakers. He's done a nice job. And and for uh, – you're right, when – when uh, Austin Reeves came to OU, he was known, man, Austin Reeves, he's going to be their spot-up shooter. That's his reputation uh, when he initially came. That was his reputation initially when he came from Wichita State as a three-point shooter. And he did develop the ability to create and get his own shot. Uh, and that obviously helped get him to the NBA where he is with the Lakers right now. Mo Gibson... Uh, can create his own shot. It's a little bit different. He doesn't take it to the hoop as much as yeah, Austin yeah, Reeves yeah. did, but he can separate and step back and create some separation for a three. He can drive a little bit, but not not to the extent that Austin Reeves could. But it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. The bottom line is the Sooners need this win, and you may be thinking, man, West Virginia, they've lost, what, six in a row? Well, think about the last two games for West Virginia. Three-point loss at Iowa State and a one-point loss at home to Texas. Uh, the Sooners did win the first meeting in Morgantown, 72-62. That was the great night for Tanner Groves and a big night for Marvin Johnson as well. Tanner Groves had 21 points and six rebounds. The Sooners really played well in that matchup. Porter Moser knows that uh, West Virginia is going to play hard. Their last place in the league, obviously, at 3-13 and in the conference. Uh, but Porter Moser says, no way the Sooners, they, they can't afford to overlook West Virginia. So if you watch the Texas-West Virginia game, like – the flow of it, like we've done a couple times. I mean, it is a high, high level, intense game. There's no way that you would, if you didn't know anything about anything and you watched that game, that you would say that like West Virginia, you know, is anything but a top three team in this league. That's the way they looked. I mean, they're, they're playing so hard. Um, there was some high level physicality, some high level plays in that game. Um, so, you don't even think about where they stand. You just think about, you know, you got Taz Sherman and McNeil, but then you got Malik Curry playing so well. Uh, you know, so many of the bigs are so physical and strong, taking you off the dribble, ISO on you. But I just, just the, the competitive, physical competitive nature of them um, is just was just a high, high level. 
Well, and again, the bottom line for Oklahoma is this team's not good, good enough to overlook anybody. You can't take for granted, hey, you're playing the last place team in the league in the Big 12, you're playing at home, you should win this game. Oklahoma absolutely should win this game. If they play well, they will win this game. But to waltz in there and think that you've just got an automatic W against West Virginia would be a huge mistake for the Sooners. Uh, and again, they have Kansas State on the road at Bramlage coming up on um, – on Saturday, and uh, think about what K State did, man. Tech had to go on a six nothing run to uh, to beat K State in that matchup last night without Noel for the Wildcats, seventy three sixty eight. And Kansas State has lost seven Big Twelve games by five points or less. So, uh, your odds of going to Bramlage and winning, I don't know, maybe thirty percent, maybe twenty five percent would be my guess this weekend. Yeah, that's a, that's a little low, I would say. Are you going forty percent? Where are you going? I. Well, I think it depends on if they win tonight. Let me get back to you tomorrow okay. with an answer All on right. that. But I would say right now I'm at least at 35 40%. Yeah, and, and Oklahoma needs to win out, there's no doubt, and uh, probably win a game in the Big 12 tournament. And then, you know, maybe, maybe you can get that bid at the tournament. But you're going to need a lot of help. There's no question about it. All right, as for senior night tonight, Porter Moser, memories of senior night, what are you expecting this evening? Well, I mean, especially if you played the game, you know there's something about playing your last home game, you know, playing in front of your, your last home crowd. And uh, there's a lot of emotions going on, um, knowing that you're, you're playing, because um, that's that's just – I always think about that when I was playing, you know. So um, for us, though, like when you're still trying to keep your, your life on, that, that's going to be an app. That, you're going to talk about that later. Right now, we're just talking about let's get another one. Let's stay in this conversation. Let's keep, you know, so it's been so much about um, West Virginia. But uh, I, I just think about going back and put myself in their shoes, having your last home game. There you go. Sooners and the Mountaineers tonight, ESPN2 uh, for the telecast. Tip time, 6 o'clock at the Lloyd Noble Center. You have another game of the Big 12 tonight. Kansas and TCU will play in Fort Worth, 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Big win for Baylor last night. Impressive what the Bears are doing with the injuries they've had to deal with. Uh, number three in the country, they beat Texas at the drum last night, 68-61. Baylor trending in the right direction. As I mentioned, number 12, Texas Tech remains undefeated at home, but they had a hard-fought game with Kansas State, beat the Wildcats, 73-68 was the final there. So uh, going to be interesting to see what happens at the LNC tonight after the Sooners survived in overtime in Bedlam on Saturday, regained their composure and beat the Cowboys and again, uh, you know, just go forward, try and get as many wins as you can. You, you can't afford another loss uh, if you're Oklahoma. And still, that certainly doesn't guarantee anything for the Sooners in, in terms of where they stand. 5-11 and 11 in the league and 15-14 and 14 overall. All right. Uh, thank you to Tim Lasher. Lasher, Home Comfort Systems, a great company, a legendary Sooner. I mean, Tim, how, many, how many field goals did Tim Lasher make for you? Some big ones. Nebraska, Oklahoma State. He's going to come through with his company for you as well. Lasher Home Comfort Systems, 405-579-3113. I think they're going to play this tonight. If they do, it'll be awesome. Yeah, this, is just, this, is, this has become the, uh, it's the, the meme. It's the go-to. It definitely is. All right, let's talk a little sooner football when we get back here on The Ref.
Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon. Moody Blues, right? How's everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. Welcome back. Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Huge weekend, huge recruiting weekend for OU uh, this weekend. And uh, also March 26th is another big day to remember for Oklahoma. We've talked uh, ad nauseum about a lot of the national people who are just looking you know, and not doing a deep dive into what's going on with Oklahoma football and deciding that, man, Oklahoma going to the SEC, they lost their genius, and, man, they are in some trouble. They are in some trouble. Well, there are some people who don't feel that way. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com, former coach, administrator, uh, and as a scout, was on with uh, Tyler and Teddy on the Rust the other day, and he said he feels pretty good about Oklahoma's future with Brent Venables. I feel more comfortable. It, it doesn't guarantee anything. I feel more comfortable now about Oklahoma going into the SEC whenever that officially happens with with Brent than I do with Lincoln. You know, to me, Oklahoma under Lincoln always had a soft look to them. I thought they were good offensively. I didn't think they were. You've heard me say this. 20 times, and probably every time I've been on with you guys, they should look more, they should be more like Clemson. What I mean by that is they should have great defensive players up and down in Oklahoma because that's the type of program Oklahoma is. It wasn't under Lincoln. And the reason, in my view, was because everything with Lincoln was about how his offense looked. I thought Lincoln was a really good offensive mind. I thought he was an average football coach the head coach there you go on uh, the rush with teddy and tyler the other day and uh, you know that, that's what's so puzzling to me parker about ou is yes i understand when when you have baker mayfield and you have kyler murray and jalen Hurts and you have great receivers like dd westbrook and cd lamb and uh you know you you've just had all these prolific offensive players winning Heismans or, you know, being in uh, in contention for Belitnikoff Awards. I, I get it that the offense is going to get uh, the, the share, the lion's share of the attention, but it always baffled me. Oklahoma's been a great program for a long time. Why can't they attract better overall defensive talent? Uh, and one of the things we always heard was, well, all those guys are going to the SEC or Clemson which was basically an SEC program with, with when Dabo got it rolling. Um, so now, you know, you can recruit to the question is, when, when is OU going to get to the SEC? We still don't know the definitive date yet. But um, so that's kind of been taken away. But that, to me, again, Parker, has been the mystery. Why, why Oklahoma could be great on offense, because guess what? Those national championship teams, they were really good on offense and they were really good on defense. Why Oklahoma couldn't do that uh, recently during these great conference championship runs still is crazy to me. I don't know if Oklahoma figured that they were going to, and I don't know if Muleshoe figured that he was going to revolutionize the way that college football was played and the way that championship rosters were constructed. But the formula has been the exact same for decades, Mike. If there's a side of the football that can carry a program to a national title, it's not the offense, it's the defense. And so to me, when you look at the national championship teams that college football has produced over the past several years, and honestly over the past couple of decades, there's one that stands out, right? LSU in 2019. 
arguably the greatest offense in the history of college football. And I understand that if you want to chalk that one up to the advent of the spread in the SEC and you want to put the credit on Joe Burrow's shoulders and you want to say, well, LSU really didn't need a defense to win that year because that offense was just that good, then great. But let's be clear about something. That's the exception, not the rule. You can't count on building the next 2019 LSU because you're going to get that type of team once in a generation. And what's far more effective than gunning for the type of lightning-in-a-bottle program and lightning-in-a-bottle team that you get once in a generation, Mike, what's going to be far more effective is building an elite core on defense and supplementing that with an offense that works in What's the word I'm looking for here? What's the chemistry term that I'm forgetting? I guess you could say concerts or unison or I No, there's know. a very specific chemistry word from my sophomore year of high school that's somewhere embedded deep in my brain, and if I dig it up, I'll let you know. But Complimentary football. Exactly. There Complimentary football is the most basic, most fundamental way to put this. You have to play complementary football. And that's not specific to one side of the ball. That's not specific to just the offense or just the defense. The offense and the defense have to complement one another. And at Oklahoma, under Muleshoe, that oftentimes wasn't the case. No, absolutely not. And again, I think this year, because uh, his attention was elsewhere, and uh, you know, I, I just think this this year's defense had more talent than the final stat showed. It was. It was a very inconsistent defense at times. They looked, well, there we go. That's what we're expecting. And then at other times, you're like, man, they're, they're regressing. But you're going to see Perry on Winfrey. You're going to see Nick Benito. You're going to see Brian Asamoa. You're going to see DTY, guys like that playing in the National Football League and making some plays. Perry on Winfrey was the best defensive uh, prospect at the Senior Bowl. He he showed out and, uh, and was tremendous. So, uh, it was very disappointing. You think about Alabama, and yes, they've had great running backs, they've had great wide receivers, and they've been loaded on both sides of the ball. But what do they do? They won with Jay Coker and Greg McElroy and A.J. McCarron. Those aren't exactly Heisman Trophy uh, you know, type quarterbacks. because Well, they didn't win, but I'm saying they weren't really in the ballpark, right? Now, Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts are two of those are different stories, but you've got to have some defense, and that's what Sooner fans are hoping for. Maybe a little less glitz and glamour, but a lot more toughness and physicality. And here's the thing, Mike. You, you brought up Mac Jones, and I think Mac Jones is a perfect example because I think Mac Jones is a guy that Alabama made. They made him look good at the quarterback position. Mac Jones isn't anything special, but – if you assemble talent around him, whereupon the responsibility for the success of the team doesn't fall squarely upon Mac Jones's shoulders and doesn't fall squarely upon the quarterback, then it takes a lot of pressure off him, allows him to really settle into his niche and find a groove, and you end up with an average quarterback from a physical perspective in a guy like Mac Jones suddenly having an outstanding season and taking your team all the way to the national championship like he did in 2020. The quarterback shouldn't be what you build your team around. Like, it should be the missing link. That once you put it into place, everything else kind of falls into place around it or has already been put in place around it. To me, you don't need an elite quarterback to win a national championship. 
But what you've always needed is at least a serviceable defense. If you look at the national champions over the last 15 years, I think there's maybe one team, I want to say Florida State in 2013, that ranked outside the national top 15 in total defense. Top 15. We're talking about the top 10% of college football right there. Yeah, and and Oklahoma fans would kill to be in the top 15. And I think they're going to get there with Brent. I I don't know if they'll do it this next season, but eventually they're going to get there. I I just think this staff is uh, the kind of staff that is going to prioritize defense a lot more than the previous staff. Yeah, and Mac Jones, look, he had had an up-and-down rookie year. At times he looked great. It looked like he might be rookie of the year. And then at times, you know, he floundered a little bit. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's a lot easier. You look a lot better when you're throwing the ball to Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, because Bama has players at every position. Um, So tell me about uh, this weekend. What is a – with all these recruits coming uh, to campus this weekend – what is a realistic scenario that you think is going to happen in terms of commitments this weekend? I I would say expect multiple. I think Tyler and I set the over under at two point five. Yeah, yesterday. I heard that. And yeah. there's a there's a compelling case for either the over or the under. I think there will be two or three. And if I, you had to guess which two or three right now, you've got your crystal ball out there. I'm sure. What do you think is going to happen? Right I think now. Dylan Edwards is a very safe bet, a very safe bet, because you see all the Oklahoma crystal ball predictions in at 24-7 sports, including one for myself, uh, in favor of Oklahoma for Dylan Edwards. He was just on campus five weeks ago. You don't come back to campus this soon if you don't have the intention of right. making yeah. some sort of announcement. It sounds, or it sounds like that. at the very yes. least, to recruit others to the campus that you see as your future home. And so Dylan Edwards, in my eyes, is a very, very safe bet to be one of those guys. Beyond that, there's no clear answer. A couple names I threw out yesterday would be P.J. Adebaware, three-star edge rusher out of Kansas City. That is, He'll pick up his fourth star before long. That's a blue-chip guy, no question about it. Another guy would be Sam Omasigo, who's a three-star athlete out of Crandall, Texas. Man, we're going to have to get at the pronunciation guide, aren't we? I know, for real. But it's those types of guys where you look through their offer sheet and Oklahoma really, really stands out above the rest. And both of those guys have Michigan offers. P.J. Adebaware has a Georgia offer. So it's not as if Oklahoma is the only major player. But particularly for a guy like P.J., you consider his family dynamic and the fact that uh, he wants to say stay reasonably close to home. Oklahoma makes sense as a very logical fit for a guy like him. And so it's those types of players that you can foresee uh, shocking the general public with a commitment on a weekend like this. And, you know, when you mention three stars, people go, what? It's Oklahoma, man. What are you doing? It's a three star. Are you kidding me? Well... Uh, it looks to me like this staff is not going to just recruit by the number of stars. They're actually evaluating players. And I'm not saying the previous staff didn't do that. You have to evaluate. But uh, do you trust a guy like Brent Venables? Do you trust a guy like Todd Bates based on their track record? Miguel Chavis has been unbelievable in recruiting so far. Do you trust those guys, Ted Roof, to evaluate a defensive prospect or a prospect in general? Let's consider right. I know there's there's some obvious bias in the public eye against three stars, but just to pick some examples here, let's go back at Oklahoma's signing class in 2022 and consider how many of those guys were three stars until their senior year. 
So at this point in time, you're looking at the 2023 class. They're at the exact same stage that many of these 2022 guys were in before they rose. So Jaden Gibson was a three-star. Nicholas Anderson was a three-star at this time last year. Kip Lewis was a three-star at this time last year, as was Jaden Rowe, Caden Helms, R. Mason Thomas. So at least, what, five, six guys right there that rose to four-star status after they started playing ball their senior year of high school. Yeah, so and you're so, saying these these kids that Oklahoma's offering that are threes now more than likely are going to be fours. That is correct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a huge weekend for Brent. It's, a, it's you know, uh, you, you talk about, uh, you know, steps in the process. This is, you know, getting the job, signing your name on the dotted line, getting to campus, having your introductory press conference, you know, getting the lay of the land and all that stuff. This is a huge, huge moment for Brent Venables early in his career coming up this weekend. All right, we're going to break right here, transition into a little Thunder basketball. I think things are looking up for Oklahoma City. They got dominated by the Kings last night, lost by 21. But you know what? Keep losing. You want to get Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paulo Bancaro, one of those guys. And we'll talk to Brandon Rabar. I almost said Brandon Drum, Brandon Rabar, about it when we get back next year on The Ref.
All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on a Tuesday edition of Steelman and Thune at noon. Brandon Rabar joining us to talk a little Oklahoma City Thunder basketball, Thunder Insider, joining us on the law offices of Rod Polson, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line. And Brandon, uh, it was not a pretty uh, result last night. Sacramento wins by 21, 131 to 110. SGA, though, had an incredible game 37 points, seven boards, 10 assists, three steals. You talk about efficient. 12 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 3 from uh, three-point range. Uh, the Thunder without Josh Giddy continued uh, to be bothered with the hip injury. Olivier Saar had 12. Trey Mann had 11. Vit Krejci had 10 for Oklahoma City. Um, SGA has been remarkable since he's come back from uh, missing those 10 games so far. He's been great. Yeah, he misses 10 games with an ankle injury, comes back, the three games he scored 32, 36, and 37, and all of them really efficiently. You know, Mark Dagnall in a media call earlier today made a great point. You know, the Thunder are the worst three-point shooting team in the league, and yet SGA still gets to the rim at will, and he does it so efficiently. Theoretically, this should be, you know, the easiest team to help off of. Teams are clogging the paint, and SGA still is just scoring, you know, at an absurd rate. I mean, he's he really is a, a truly special uh, scoring talent, and we saw it last night. You know, the game was tied at halftime. It was 59-59, and the uh, Kings went on a run, so bonus is really good in the second half. But, you know, this this season is all about, you know, trying to get that top five pick and, and watching Shea and Josh Giddy and Trey Mann and Lou Dort develop. And uh, last night was, was kind of a – a great night for that because you see Shea look like a superstar up against Sabonis and Fox, and yet it was kind of an important loss because the Kings are kind of, you know, a scary team if you're looking at the reverse standing. So it's kind of nice for the Kings to get a win and the Thunder to get a loss. Now, Alexei Pogoshevsky, Brandon, a guy that uh, has demonstrated maybe over the course of his career at Oklahoma City that he's not outstanding at any one thing, but he's really good at a bunch of things. And you saw it in his stat line last night, nine points, eight rebounds, five assists. What, have you, what do you think so far about Poku's trajectory? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny because he's still one of the youngest players in the league. He's actually going to be younger than, than a lot of the rookies coming in this upcoming draft. I mean, that's, that's how young he still is. Uh, he's in his second year, and I think he just played the best month of basketball of his career. I truly do. I think February was his best, best month he's ever had. He shot pretty well as far as his numbers goes, both from the floor, from three-point range, uh, from the free-throw line. And like you said, he's kind of making an impact everywhere. He's, he's grabbing boards. He's scoring, uh, you know, two blocks, two steals last night. You know, the, the book's not closed on, on Poku yet. I think that, you know, some, some fans maybe kind of gave up hope because he was first-round pick and he looked so raw. But he was always going to be raw. He was always a project. If he continues this trajectory of, of you know, kind of slow improvement, you know, he's so young, he, he's going to be just fine if he continues improving like this. But, but the signs are there. You know, I think that, I think that the, uh, the arrow's pointing up on Poku. I'll say that. 
All right, uh, next up for Oklahoma City, a game at Denver tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, Friday at home against the Timberwolves at 7 o'clock, and then a Sunday game with Utah at 6 o'clock. 20 games left on the schedule for Oklahoma City. Uh, Thunder have the uh, the fourth worst record in the league, but they're three and a half games behind Houston for that three spot, and you know your percentages go up to get more ping pong balls in the draft lottery if you can finish in the top three, but we shall see. Uh, MVP race. Uh, a lot of people like Joel Embiid. Now he has James Harden there in Philly with him. Nikola Jokic, Steph, uh, Giannis, uh, DeMar DeRozan, I think is getting some more looks from people. He's been tremendous. And the Bulls, you think about where they are. Number two in the Eastern Conference standings. I mean, who expected the East to look like this? Miami one, Chicago two, Philly three, and the Cavaliers four. Uh, in the Eastern Conference standings right now. Uh, but what about Ja Morant, too? 52 last night for Memphis. How, how would you rank your top three MVP candidates at this juncture? Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, MVP has you know long been kind of a, a guards game or a, a sports game, but the big men are dominating this year. I, I think, for me, I mean, Jokic is having such a special season. Uh, Embiid... To me, it's it's those two right now. I'd probably go one Jokic, two Embiid, and three. I'd probably go Giannis. But you know, Jaw is is climbing the ranks. I mean, if the Grizzlies end up with like the the second or third best record in the NBA, uh, you, you really have to consider Jaw. His numbers aren't as good as Embiid's or Jokic's or or Giannis's, but those are improving too. And you know, narrative is strong when it comes to MVP, both in the NBA and the NFL. So I think that Jaw probably has the best story out of everybody and the best narrative. But right now, I'd, I'd give it to one of the two big men, Jokic or Embiid. Let me ask you this, Brandon, looking ahead to this offseason, let's say this is the offseason where Sam Presti decides to unload a couple of those future draft picks and try and go get a veteran piece for this team as he makes the effort to – build a championship roster over the next couple of years here in Oklahoma City. Who do you think that piece could be? We may have lost Brandon. I heard, I heard a beep there. I heard a beep, too. I heard a beep. Uh, maybe he got ejected uh, from the game, from the uh, conversation. We can call him back real quick if you want. Uh, we got a couple minutes. So, yeah, there was a there was a very loud beep, and I think Brandon uh, – would Sam Presti cut him off? Was he giving away too much information? I'm not sure. But, yes, next up for Oklahoma City, a game with Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, and then the Timberwolves against uh, three-point shootout champion Carl Anthony Towns and uh, the Timberwolves, 7 o'clock Friday night. Utah coming to the Paycom Center on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. As I said, there are 20 games left on the regular season schedule. It is pretty amazing. Memphis, again, third-best record in the West. I, you know, I don't think, particularly with the Suns and Chris Paul's injury, which is a six- to eight-week deal, now he's going to be ready, they hope. Uh, depends on how healthy he's going to be for the playoffs. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out in the NBA this year because I don't look at one team that I say that is the – now, if Chris Paul's healthy and hadn't had this injury, you, you've got to point to Phoenix, and I would still point to Phoenix, but I just don't think we know. All right, Brandon, we got you back. We were wondering if you were giving us so much insight that Sam Presti's people cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, too much insider info, too much leaking. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, but no, the question I was in the middle asking there, Brandon, is if this is the offseason where Sam Presti decides he can afford to unload a couple of those future draft picks to try and get a veteran piece for this Oklahoma City basketball team, who are, who's a guy maybe that you think would fit that mold for OKC? Uh, you know, I think that the popular names would be probably Bradley Bill because his name always comes up, you know, when teams are looking to, to get a experienced, good vet. I still think that he stays in Washington, uh, you know, People say Damian Lillard. I think he's going to stay in Portland. Uh, somebody that intrigues me would be somebody more like Miles Turner from the Pacers. I mean, he's a he's a seven footer who plays good defense, blocks shots. He could be a defensive anchor, and he shoots threes. If you could get like him, and then you get like a Jabari Smith Jr. or a Chet Holmgren to match up with him in the draft. I mean, that's a great four and five and it would complement Josh Giddey and SGA and Dort and Trey Mann kind of perfectly. So I would think it would be a guy like that. Like, I'd look at a guy like the Miles Turner. Uh, you know, now you could go crazy and say the Pelicans need to trade Zion Williamson, and maybe they really go all in and throw a huge package. I don't see anything like that happening, but, hey, you never know. You know, we were talking about Memphis, again, third best record in the West, and I tell you, he's been a really good fit there too, man. And he's, you talk about throwing an outlet pass, Steven Adams, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we saw some of that, you know, in Oklahoma City. That, Of course, the famous one was the Dennis Schroeder, uh, you know, touchdown pass that the buzzer beater uh, to beat the uh, Timberwolves actually went into overtime, and then they won. But, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Steven – in Memphis is kind of a perfect pair. You know, they've kind of always famously been the the grit and grind team, and Steven fits that perfectly and just kind of the culture. But, man, you go from Russell Westbrook all those years to John Moran, it's kind of seamless now, I think, for Steven Adams. And I don't know, all those years, uh, Oklahoma quietly had, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and Steven Adams. We just didn't know it. Yeah, and the highlight plays last night, the shot from Morant, the dunk, everything. Uh, that's a fun team to watch, no doubt, Memphis. And, uh, again, it's going to be a wild postseason of the NBA, no doubt about it. You're looking like right now the Nets, and I know they've had the Kyrie issue all year. Kevin Durant's been out with an injury, but you look at James Harden now in Philadelphia. They would be in the play-in tournament right now, the Nets. Uh, in the East. And again, uh, Billy Donovan has got to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year. Very serious contender to win uh, Coach of the Year in the NBA, what what the Bulls have done, no doubt. Brandon, as usual, great stuff. You're always uh, very, uh, very gracious to give us your time here every week. We appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, there you go. Brandon Rabar joining us here on Steel Man and Thud at noon on a Tuesday edition. Uh, coming up, at 135, Jesse Crittenden, the sports editor, Norman Transcript. We'll talk Sooner football and basketball with Jesse coming up a little bit later on. Take a break right here. One more segment to go for hour number one. Stay with us on the ref.
Okay, we are back again. Uh, Sooner basketball tonight against uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. The last couple games for the Mountaineers, they played well. They've lost both. They are in a six-game losing streak, but a three-point loss at Iowa State and a one-point loss at home versus Texas. Uh, the Sooners won the first meeting in Morgantown, 72-62 was the final. That was a huge night for Tanner Groves, 21 points and six rebounds. That was also a game where Marvin Johnson came in, uh, Parker made some plays down the stretch. Then, of course, he got the the injury, uh, but he came back. And, again, he was uh, really good, obviously, in Bedlam, made the big steal and layup in uh, overtime to seal it for the Sooners. So we'll see what happens tonight. What's going on? Are you thinking Baylor? You know, they've, they've had injury issues, obviously, huge injury issues. But, man, that team right now, they, they look like they were going to get blown out at home early by Kansas over the weekend. They rallied. They win that game by 10. Then they went in Austin last night, 68-61. With seven players. Yeah. I mean, Baylor's a special team, man. Baylor is a team that's going to go deep in March. And I, I, I don't know. Gonzaga's kind of a wild card to me. I think over the first 10, 15 games of the season, I figured, okay, this team's going to cruise to a national title. I'm not as sold on them anymore, and I think they still have what it takes to make a run to the Final Four, but I do think they're more vulnerable than Baylor is. And so, to me, that is the top tier across college basketball right now. Those are the two teams, and, you know... (laughs) Those are two teams that obviously met in the national championship game last year, so it's no surprise that they're right back here. But I think in 2022, as in 2021, I perceive that there is a divide between those two and the rest of the field. And that's not to say that they might not trip up somewhere along the way. I'm not... I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion that Gonzaga and Baylor aren't going or going to be uh, matched up for another national title again come the beginning of April. But what I am saying is I think the safe money is on one of those two programs. Uh, I like what Kentucky's done. Obviously, you like the direction that Texas Tech's headed in here late in the season. They've put together some good wins. You can never count out Kansas and Bill Self. It's shaping up to very to be a very intriguing month of March, and I think what adds to the intrigue is the fact that you have so many mid-major programs that are proving they're capable of potentially being Cinderella. There are some legit contenders at the mid-major level. You're talking about teams like St. Mary's, which Houston. beat Gonzaga. Houston yeah. is outstanding. South Dakota State is making a mockery of the Summit League. Just went through the league undefeated. Wyoming has been really nice out of the Mountain West. So, to me... Whenever we get to March, what generates excitement is when there's no clear gap between one team or a couple teams and the rest of the field. And even though I would elevate Gonzaga and Baylor above the rest right now, I don't think there's necessarily a massive chasm between Mm. them and the rest of college basketball. So I love it when it's legitimately anybody's game going into March and you have a strong mid-major presence because we live for the Cinderella stories. Right, Mike? That's what we look forward to the most in March. Yeah, and uh, who are we talking about with Brandon Rabar uh, in uh, very much in the MVP conversation? We were talking about John Morant, right? And, uh, you know, he had 52 last night, and he's been outstanding. Memphis is the three seed in the West right now, and Murray State's 28-2. and uh, And, you know, the job that Kelvin Sampson has done at Houston has been uh, remarkable. He's done a fantastic job there. You know, uh, kind of resurrected that program in some ways. 
And I think back to those Houston teams, uh, the five Slamma Jamma team we were talking about the other day that lost in the 83 game to NC State and Albuquerque. Um, you know, and, and Kelvin, it's good to see him back in college coaching. He messed up, made some mistakes, you know, too much activity on the cell phone, got caught, wasn't good. But I always like Kelvin and his wife, Karen, and, uh, you know, Kellen just really uh, always enjoyed their company when they were here, when I got to see him. And I'm glad Kelvin, he always seemed like a college coach to me. And I know he was an assistant in the NBA and uh, put in his time in the NBA and then uh, was able to get back into college coaching. And again, he's done a really, really good job uh, with the Houston Cougars. No doubt about it. it. It feels like we may have kind of the most wide open March Madness and NBA playoffs we've had in in a long time. You know, where you don't just look at one team. Like I said, I think Phoenix would be that team in the NBA. Uh, but with Chris Paul's injury, we'll see how he comes back. I mean, it's a thumb. It's not like it's a knee or a hamstring. He'll probably come back all right. And when the top six teams in college basketball all lose on the same day, yeah, man, that's as good of a March primer as you can have. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk about uh, next hour where we put March Madness as an event, and we'll get to that and rank kind of the overall sporting events. You can't really rank seasons because I think everybody around here would say college football clearly would be the number one season. But just in terms of sporting events or times of the year, we'll get into that coming up here in a little bit. We also have Jesse Crittenden coming up, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We'll talk Sooner Hoops, West Virginia, on the docket tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC, and we'll get into Sooner football as well. Thank you, Tim Lasher and your great company, Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Give them a call for all of your, uh, you know, you need to get your air conditioning system revamped, whatever. Give them a call. They'll do a great job for you. One more hour to go. Keep it here.
I, uh, hour number two, what's up on your Tuesday? Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley bringing you hour number two here on Steelman and Thune, exit 72 in Paul's Valley for a great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group and that great guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. All right, you're, you're telling me Cowherd is at it again? Cowherd has spoken. What? Am I going to get angry at this? You might. Maybe I don't know. It's I just it's, blocked Mule Shoe, man. I understand. Yesterday. It's, well, it's Cowherd spouting his Mule Shoe propaganda. Oh man! All right, you well, want to hear this? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. You know, this idea just popped into my head. I'm always looking for new podcasts, YouTubers at the volume. My new podcast company. Why shouldn't I do a Saturday podcast on USC football? You know, make it about 20 weeks, talk about all their victories, Pac-10 titles with Lincoln Riley, recruiting five-star commitments. Easy to find a sponsor. They'd line up. I love recruiting elite talent. Really? There you go. When uh, is... Muleshoe going to divorce divorce his wife, and uh, are he and Cowherd going to marry, or what? I mean, this is a pretty serious relationship we've got going First on. First off, I love how Cowherd is so out of touch with college football that he called the Pac-12 the Pac-10. Uh, he did, didn't he? All right, yeah. <laughs> He's puffing on a cigar there. Yeah, secondly, I, I know none of you listeners can actually see the clip on social media that we just played, but... He's ripping a stogie this whole time as he's just sitting there talking. He's like out on a park bench somewhere, smoking a cigar, babbling about USC football. Here's the deal. I like Cal Hurd. I think he is the best in the business at coming up with angles. He's very articulate. He's always, you can tell he puts a lot of effort into his show. I think he's really good. I do. But this stuff is driving me crazy. And um, he is he is blowing that cigar smoke directly at the Sooner Nation right there. Is he not? No, he is. I mean, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Old mule shoe out there, you know, I just, I was trying to get him to block me, and yes, you can call me ridiculous or whatever. I've been, I know, I know. But it's this kind of stuff that drives me insane. And, hey, I've made progress. I was about to uh, tweet the other day on the USC beach photo uh, when uh, Muleshoe sent that out, I hope you get eaten by a shark, and I held off, so I'm making some progress. Let's go ahead and get to the Bob clip. Let's get a reasonable human being on here. This was, you know, and all these people saying, oh, man, Brent Venables, man, he's unproven. You got it, man. It's Oklahoma. Why aren't you getting a head coach? Well, was Bob Stoops a head coach? Was Barry Switzer a head coach? Was Bud Wilkinson a head coach? How many national titles do the Sooners have? Seven? Seven. How many national titles between Bud, Bob, and Barry are there? Seven. Seven. How many of those guys previously were a head coach before coming to Oklahoma? The answer is zero. All right. So, again, these ill-informed people out there. And, again, I think Cowherd does a really good job. I really do. But this stuff, I mean, his romance with Muleshoe is bordering on frightening. 
And you know, Mule Shoe's loving it because he's like, yeah, I'm out here in L.A. and I got cowherd and I got all these people out here. You know he's doing that. You know he is. Bob Stoops, again, on the rush recently, a man who speaks the truth, an honest man that you can trust. He's not going to run off in the middle of the night. He's just a solid individual and a heck of a football coach. And, uh, you know, Tyler and Teddy on the rush ask him about people questioning Brent's experience in Oklahoma bringing him in as, as a head coach. Well, that, that doesn't seem to be logical, does it? I mean, surely they're smarter than that. I wasn't a head coach before here. Lincoln Riley wasn't a head coach before he, before he took over. Barry Switzer wasn't a head coach when he took over. Just our history here tells you that's, that's foolish to say that, but uh, it doesn't matter what they say. Brent, Brent's a damn good coach. Everybody knows it. Uh, his background coming in to take over is light years ahead of what mine was, Lincoln's, and about most other people, too. Guy's been in eight national championship games. You can go on and on and on. He's ready for this, and uh, and I can't wait to watch it. Boom! There you go, man. That that's real talk right there. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be hard. And again, I'm trying, folks. Uh, I'm not looking at any more tweets. And the other part of it, like I've always said, there's gonna be another way because he. He is going to win games out there. And people are going to say, man, look at this. And you're going to see some highlights. You're going to see a lot of offense. You're going to see a lot of kids who are, you know, into themselves that want that attention going out to play for him. There's no doubt. And I've said many times, USC is a sleeping giant. They have every bit the history that Oklahoma has. And they've had they've won, you know, their matchups with Oklahoma. They – Wins a PD, I think it's what, like five and three USC, maybe one the one tie back in the early 70s out in the Coliseum. Uh, again, question is, can he win a national championship? Other than that, they're going to end up winning a lot of football games. But you know what? Sooner fans need spring football. They need the spring game. They need to get to next season. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the OU fans have moved on. Here's what, Finally, I, don't here's you? what I just want to emphasize, Mike. I just want to emphasize that when I say time and time again, Brent Venables is the most qualified first-time head coach in the history of college football, that's not at all hyperbolic. That is the gospel truth. If you look at Brent Venables' resume compared to other men who have stepped into a head coaching role for the first time, Venables' resume dwarfs any any competitor. Who would be a comparable, comparable guy? Kirby Smart? Maybe. I, sure, I right? guess. I guess because he came from Nick Saban's staff. But, I mean, Brent, how many times do you get a coordinator who had those kind of stats and three national championships on his resume? Right? You don't. And, you don't. And that's part of the reason why I was so convinced for the longest time. And I remember pounding the table and saying this for years and years. No, Brent Venables is never going to be a head coach. Because his name would keep coming up, right, for the Kansas State job or the Auburn job or the job here, there, everywhere. And I... I would tell everybody, no, I don't think there's any way Brent Menables is going to become a head coach because at the point he is in his career, if you haven't already accepted a head coaching job, 
that's a pretty solid indication that you don't want to be a head coach. And yeah, you... we all thought it was strange, right? Because we're all like, man, Brent is the guy. Brent's a guy that should be up for all these jobs. And what we didn't know was Brent was just waiting. And he actually had a few opportunities that we didn't know about. And when Oklahoma came calling, he was ready to answer that call and say, let's go. And why would, because why would you put yourself in a situation where you take a job – that is below what you feel your value is as a football coach. If you know that one day you're going to get the call and you're going to be in the conversation to be the next head football coach at the at the University of Oklahoma, why would you feel the need to go out on a limb and put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you're charged with resurrecting a program as a head coach? If you're making seven figures as a coordinator and you're at the top of your game as a coach and – there is nobody that compares to you across the nation in terms of your ability to coordinate defense. I feel like a lot of people in Brent Venable's shoes would have jumped at the first opportunity to be head coach. Right? And to a certain extent, that's natural. That is the natural desire, the natural innate human desire for more power, more money, more in general. And yet Brent Venables was content with where he was at Clemson. And he was content to ride it out as long as necessary until a job that he truly wanted, not a job that he would take, not a job that he would maybe like to receive an offer for, but a job that he truly in his heart wanted. He waited for that opportunity to come along. Yeah, and uh, I, I just love the fit. And, and I like somebody who's on fire for OU, you know. And we, we kind of thought that Lincoln, he – was on fire for OU, and we found out that he wasn't that on fire for OU as much as we anticipated. But I think Brent is. I think he absolutely is. So we'll see. And that doesn't mean that Oklahoma's going to go out and win a national championship in the next three to five years. But, again, I, uh, I like this new regime. I like the way they're going about things. I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm seeing. Uh, we'll see what the results look like this fall. But um, – I don't know. I, I think Oklahoma fans are, are ready to see what happens, and spring football can't get here soon enough. Here's what I want to ask you guys, all right, and ladies, on the text line today, the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439. Do you want the Sooners now to get to the SEC sooner or later? What do you think? Would you like to see Oklahoma? You know, clearly they're not going to be in the SEC next fall. But do you want to see the Sooners get to the SEC sooner or later right now? Why or why not? We'll get to your text coming up here in a little bit. Jesse Crittenden on the way from the Norman Transcript at 135. By the way, you know what I think is awesome, Mike? You know what I think is a great situation for Brent Venables and his staff and his football program to be in? Think back. When was the last time preseason expectations for the Sooners were this low? Honestly. Man, would you have to go back to like one of the Landry Jones years, maybe? I, I don't think know. you would. Because they went to the Sugar Bowl in 2013, and that wasn't unforeseen. And in 2014, right, it was Katy Perry that made the wheels fall off. But heading into that season, which the Sooners finished at 8 and 5, it, with that Russell Athletic Bowl thrashing at the hands of, guess who? Brent Venables and Clemson. Mm hmm. They still were heading into that season uh, with national title hopes and expectations. And so I think you do have to go back to the Jones era, and that's probably at least a decade since preseason expectations for Oklahoma were this low. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. Maybe people can answer that on the text line too. 405-651-3439. That is our uh, text line, Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Was the worst decision that Trevor Knight ever made, not responding to Katy Perry? And, And he tried to come back later, remember, after I guess he broke up. With uh, his girl back in the day. Speaking of breaking up with his girl, via the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Mule shoe story. I went to college in Nebraska. Hey, shout out to the 402. Uh, a roommate of mine was from Amarillo, Texas. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend came up to join him. One semester later, she dumped him and moved on. Where was she from? Mule Shoe, Texas. Yeah, well. There is something in the water in that town. They cut ties quickly in Mule Shoe, I guess. I guess that's that's the way they roll. All Flaky. right. We're going to take a break right here, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. We're with you on a Tuesday. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steel Man and Thune, way afternoon. Don't forget, we've got Locked In coming up with Parker and Tyler McComas at the top of the hour, followed by The Rush at 3 o'clock with Tyler and Teddy. Everybody, hope you're having a great Tuesday. Let's come back. Let's get to the text line next here on The Ref.
All right, thank you again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, sponsoring hour number two here on uh, the Home of Sooner Fans, the Ref Radio Network, Steelman and Thune, with you uh, locked in at the top of the hour. And yes, Riverwind Casino continues with some great promotions for the month of March. How about the $80,000 courtside cash promotion? Get out there, play with your wild card until midnight tonight. Try and get five times the entries. On your wild card, it's not that difficult. Just go out and play, get some points in your wild card, get five times the entries for the drawing on Friday night, and then go out there and win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play. And maybe you'll be one of the two grand prize winners also who will earn extra cash and bonus play in the drawing just before midnight. They also have an opportunity coming up later this month for you to land into luxury. It's the $80,000 land into luxury promotion. It begins March 13th, and the eventual grand prize winner. And again, a lot of people are going to win cash and bonus play in that promotion that starts March 13th, but be out there for the drawing on March 26th, and you have a chance to win a brand new 2022 Cadillac XT5. And the drawing for that promotion is uh, March 26th, 7 to 1130. And again, uh, you want to get out and play with your wild card on Sundays and Thursdays and earn 10 times the entries on your wild card for that great promotion. Riverwind truly is simply the best. All right, you want to get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line? Let us have a look at what the listeners are saying. One says, get to the SEC yesterday. OU is going to get screwed by Big 12 refs and administrators every chance they get. Hmm, what do you think? You think there's some truth in that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that's that's a little conspiracy theory for me. A little too much uh, Oliver Stone there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, look, everybody cites the 2021 Bedlam game. I I say 2021 as if it was so long ago. It was three months ago. But everybody cites that game as an example. You know, I pass interference snowfall on Trayvon West with 20 seconds left. They didn't didn't want Oklahoma to get to the college football playoff or win the Big 12 championship. I I don't think that's the case because what drives everything – in college athletics, Mike. What drives everything? Money. Money. And Lord knows if Bob Bullsby had an opportunity to get a team into the college football playoff and make himself some more money, he would have done it. And he would have – I guess what I'm saying is he wouldn't have gone out of his way to ensure it didn't happen. All right. So I don't, I don't buy the theory that – that pass interference no call was somehow orchestrated by Bob Bullsby and the Big 12 Conference to yeah, make sure that, Oklahoma didn't play for another not, conference championship. That's ridiculous. But there should have been a PI call, right? Sure. Yes, there should have been. I don't think it was I don't think it was Bob Bullsby pulling the strings on that one though. Another listener says, "I'd like to see the Sooners jump into the SEC sooner, 2023." Win the Big 12 one last time and then go to the SEC where Alabama and Georgia are reloading with Bryce Young leaving. Should be easy pickings with Gabriel coming back for that second season and our defense having a year under their belt. Yeah, I I like that one. Let me ask you this. Let's say that Oklahoma stays in the conference until 2025, which I don't see happening because how how convoluted is the league going to be with all the new schools coming in, right? Very much so. Uh, but if they do, what are the chances that Nick Saban is still coach at Alabama when Oklahoma gets there? If, Hi. You think so? Hi. Yeah, Nick Saban is not slowing down. 
we we'd all like to believe it's happening. We'd all like to believe Nick Saban. How is, old is Nick Saban? He's seventy years old. Okay, so he'd be 73, 74 at that time if if Oklahoma stayed around, and I don't think they will. But would you like to see Nick Saban retired by the time Listen, Oklahoma gets the there? The entire college football universe would like to see Nick Saban retire <laughs> that's, that's because right. it's going to give <laughs> it's going to level the playing field. But yeah. the reality is. Nick Saban's not going to retire anytime soon. I don't care what anyone says. It's not happening. Why would he? I I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, will he be around if the Sooners stayed in the league and played out this contract, the grant of rights, whatever you want to call it, uh, would he still be there? And I'm with you. I think he, he, he would. Another listener says to the SEC ASAP, why prolong the inevitable? And I'm tired of road games to the football armpits of the world. Because it's the Big 12. It's Division One football. It ain't intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals, brother. No, it is. Big 12 is closer to intramural football than the SEC is. That's for sure. When I saw the phrase football armpits, I, I got a very good sense of which city would immediately pop into Steely's head. Lubbock. How many football armpits are there in the SEC? Starkville's got to be an armpit. That's a horrible place. Really? I've never been to Starkville. Well, I just remember a long time ago when the hillbillies out there in the outfield were harassing Anthony Blackman, the Oklahoma State center fielder, who was African-American, and they yes, the, now, the whole game and the whole tournament. Yes. Now, I will say this. Having been through Mississippi more than a time or two, that is a very hillbilly type of state. There are other words that could be mm-hmm. applicable. Uh, Vandy, I mean, that's not going to be a great environment, but Nashville at least is a great city, right? I mean, that'd be a cool place to road trip to. Yes, Vanderbilt as a campus yeah, is awesome. absolutely. I've been to that campus. And it uh, is outstanding. Do they have the Skip Bayless Museum there yet? I don't think so. The Skip Bayless Museum. He's, is- a, he's a Vandy guy. I forgot about that. Yeah, he got like a scholarship out of a Northwest class in like some prestigious, uh, Journalist, journalism uh, scholarship to go to Vandy. Everybody thinks he's an OU grad. He's an OU fan, but he's a Vandy grad. Another listener says, Big 12 does screw us. Bedlam. How many free throws has OU shot lately? Flagrant fouls against our opponents disregarded. Get us out of here now. Um, again, if you're saying, uh, I just can't believe in some league-wide conspiracy. Do I think there's some bitterness towards Oklahoma and Texas? Yeah. Absolutely. Could that influence an official who's a human being? Maybe to a certain extent. But in terms of some coordinated conspiracy, I can't go that far. Another listener says, no way they'll have Cincinnati and those teams in when OU is here. I agree with that. I don't think so either. uh, And another one says, 2023 would be ideal. 2 plus 0 plus 2 plus 3 equals 7, as in 7 national titles. That... (laughs) Again, kind of feels conspiracy theory esque to me, but I understand the uh, the equation. I understand wanting to make the math work out like that, but I think twenty twenty three makes the most sense, and I've said that time and time again because at that point in time, the Big Twelve doesn't have any reason to cling to OU in Texas. They have twelve teams. They have a full conference again. They can let go. And I think they will. I I think something will happen again. My guess would be this would be OU's last year in the Big Twelve. Yes, and I think I, I would be surprised if it if it wasn't. So 
We'll see. All right, Air Comfort Solutions tax line, 405-651-3439. On the other hand, one listener says later is better. BV needs time to assemble a team able to compete in the SEC, and although he is extremely qualified for this job, he needs time as head coach to perfect things like clock management, game day routines, etc. I think that's a really good take. And again, I, I'm not approaching this from a man, Oklahoma, they're, you know, they're, they'd get beat up in the SEC. But I do think from Brent's standpoint, yes, uh, at least a year. I mean, it, it from a fan standpoint, you want Oklahoma to get there. You want to see better matchups. You want to see them happen now. I get that. But from, you know, building the roster, this roster was built around playing Big 12 teams, right? I mean, obviously. Uh, and you're going to have to, with Jerry Schmidt back and the way they're going about their business and strength and conditioning and the kind of kids they're bringing in, maybe two years would be better. Now, again, I, I still think this next season is the last one in the league for OU. So More from the dissenters. I hate the SEC and not a fan of joining that den of thieves. I understand it's a money grab, so I really don't care. When LSU shows up to soil our stadium, though, I may have to sell my tickets. <laughs> Oh, uh, there's there's a level below tech fans right there, LSU fans. Here's the deal. Uh, we don't know. This is very unknown. Oklahoma is one of the greatest programs in the history of college football, without a doubt, a top five all-time program. And, and some of these, you know, polls and some of the rankings have even had Oklahoma at number one on that list. Now, right now, it's certainly Alabama. But the Sooners' tradition takes a backseat to uh, nobody. And, you know, uh, but that doesn't mean that Oklahoma is going to be just as good and just as productive winning games and winning the conference in the SEC. It's a much more difficult road. What is – now, look, I don't think Oklahoma is going to get the, the the situation that Nebraska got going to the Big Ten. Uh, no. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we would need an entire show to unpack, A, all of the issues that the move to the Big Ten created for Nebraska, and B, why this situation with Oklahoma going to the SEC does not even slightly resemble Nebraska's move to the Big Ten. You're going to have to uh, get used to stomaching some 9-3s and threes and 8-4s, and you know, maybe even on a down year, maybe even a 6-6 six and six or something like that. Uh, I'm not trying to forecast gloom and doom, but you're just playing against better competition. Uh, we shall see. Now, I think the Sooners are going to be fine, and uh, I really do in the long term. But uh, in particularly, though, they need to get to an 18, 12-team playoff quickly. That is going to make a big difference on how Sooner fans feel. Because if it stays at four, and we know it's staying at four until the end of this contract, based on what they've been saying, then uh, and that's a tough tough road for Oklahoma to travel to get to the playoff in the SEC if they're there season after next. All right, let's talk to Jesse Crittenden about all this stuff and the Sooner Hoops game tonight. We'll do that when we get back here on the Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans.
All right, taking you through a Tuesday. Our thanks again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, sponsoring hour number two here on Steelman and Thune, exit 72 in Paul's Valley. Great deal on a vehicle from our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group and that great guarantee. Oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. Jesse Crittenden joins us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We appreciate your time again today, Jesse. I want to ask you the, th- the same thing we're asking our listeners on the uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line. Uh, would, it better for, would it be better for Oklahoma, uh, talking football here specifically, to get to the SEC sooner or later? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I think before all the the chaos with with Lincoln Riley, I, I mean, I think we all expected it to be, you know, to happen sooner rather than later. Um, I, I think I don't know if it's about you know it happening right now or or you know after twenty twenty five, but I think I think there is some value in letting um, Brent Venables and and his new staff, you know, have a couple of years to recruit, uh, you know, a couple more recruiting cycles and. You know, I mean, Brent Venables and that staff, they know what they're going to need to compete in the SEC. And I think if you give them, you know, at least another year, um, you know, for another recruiting cycle to look for, for guys that can compete in the SEC, I think, I think that's going to be the way to go. Jesse, as we draw closer and closer to the dawn of spring practice for Oklahoma, just about a week away now, let me ask you this, and I want to kind of put you on the spot. If you can give us three players – on both sides of the ball, so three offense, three defense, that you're really excited to see how they progress through spring ball and how they look in the spring game. And those can be incoming freshmen, those can be established veterans, those can be transfers, but three guys on either side that you're super excited to see what they look like in an Oklahoma uniform over the next few weeks. Man, you you really are putting me on the spot. I feel like I'm, I'm taking a test, like taking an exam. But uh, pop, pop quiz. <laughs> No, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I really think the first one um, that seems like an obvious answer, but I, I'm really I'm really excited to see um, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, I think I think that's the easy answer. Um, but I, I'm really excited to see. I mean, we I mean they, they came out and said he is the starting quarterback um, for next season. So I'm really excited to see what he what he looks like in this offense. How he gels. Um, with the other pieces, I mean, there's going to be a lot of freshmen that he works with too. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what that looks like. Um, I think another one um, is, or let's go to defense. I think another one is Jaron Kanak. I'm really excited about um, what he looks like as an incoming freshman on the defensive side of the ball at, you know, as a linebacker. Um, I think he's a guy that could see some time. Uh, Kobe McKenzie, obviously another one uh, that, that I'm really excited about. Um, looking at additional freshmen, I mean, I think I think Jacob Sexton is, is kind of an under the radar guy that I think mm. um, could. I mean, from Edmond, I think he's a guy that that I'm really excited to see um, what he'll do. And, and then looking at established guys, I'm I'm really excited to see. I mean, Eric Gray. I don't think he's been a guy that's been talked about a ton, and I think this last season was was kind of up and down for him. And, you know, and I think Kennedy Brooks kind of established himself as the season went on. But, I mean, with, with Kennedy Brooks gone, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see if there's, if there's new ways that Eric Gray is implemented in the offense, how much of a bigger role um, he gets. I think he's kind of a guy that's not being talked about a ton that, 
Um, you, I don't know if there's a lot of pressure on him, but, you know, he, he could see a bigger role. You know, we'll see. Um, I don't know how many guys that is. How many, how many guys do I have left? Uh, I think you hit all six. Okay, cool. I'm, we're, let's go with six. There you go. B plus. Very good. B plus. Well, we'll give you an A, actually. We're grading on a curve here uh, because I, I was always wanting to be graded on a curve. So, anyway. Oh, absolutely. All right. Jesse Crittenden joining us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. All right. I fire another football question at you. This is another one that we asked our listeners the other day. Curious to get your response. What is a realistic – where should the bar be set? I mean, after all, this is Oklahoma. Where should the bar be set for Brent Venables in terms of him having a successful first year at OU? That's that's a really good question, uh, and I think a lot I think a lot of the, the questions or expectations were answered with just how well he and his staff did with this new recruiting class. I mean, to, to make it into the top ten um, with the limited time they had and the in, instability um, is is nothing short of impressive. So, I mean, I, I really think there's every reason to be to expect that that this team is going to compete for a Big 12 title next year. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think there's there's still going to be um, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball that will that will be here from from last year's team, and, and plug in some of these new guys that I really do think have a chance to to compete and have an impact right away. Uh, I mean, other other. I mean, it, it's going to be tough, obviously. But I mean, Texas is the only team, only Big 12 team that that had a, a you know a higher recruiting ranking. In Oklahoma, and that's been the case for years, and that hasn't stopped Oklahoma from having the advantage in that in in that matchup. So, I, I really think there's every reason to believe that this team will be competitive in the Big 12. Look for another Big 12 title. I, I'm not even really thinking about the playoffs right now. I mean, maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. And you know, this is a first year staff. But if anybody is is if anybody is prepared to come in and continue the success that OU has had, it's Brent Venables. And I, and I don't know if anything could be quite as disappointing as this last season was. <laughs> That's a very good point, Jesse, and probably something yeah, that no hasn't doubt. been brought up enough. But, hey, let's quickly turn our attention to the hardwood. And the Sooners got a big one tonight against West Virginia, which is not what you would categorize as a marquee opponent, but nonetheless a win that the Sooners – absolutely have to have as they prepare for a weekend road trip to Bramlage Coliseum where they haven't won since 2012. How are you feeling tonight about the Sooners tilt with the Mountaineers? Yeah, I think, I think, I think OU has to feel pretty good. I mean, they beat um, this Mountaineers team in West Virginia uh, last month and they did that essentially without Elijah Harkless. I mean, Harkless only played four minutes in that game and and obviously Harkless is out for the season, but they kind of already have experience playing this team without Elijah Harkless. Now, I mean, it's going to be tough. West Virginia needs a win, too, and they've lost a couple of really just heartbreakers these last couple of games. I mean, I think they lost to West, to, or excuse me, to Iowa State and to Texas by a combined four points in their, in their last two games. But, I mean, I think, I mean, this is senior night for Oklahoma. They've got a lot of senior rotation players that you know that I think really want to try to, to you know one last desperate gasp at, at making a tournament burst. And um, they've they've already beat this team once. So, I mean I think I mean I think if you're an OU fan, you've got to feel pretty confident about this matchup tonight. All right, uh, Jesse. You know you look at what the Sooners have to do, and obviously they they've got to win out, and then hope maybe win a game, and more than likely it would be again West Virginia. But the thing is, uh, Kansas State, you know, Bramlage has been very difficult. So we're, we're kind of uh, 
give trying to give the Sooner fans a little, uh, you know, there's a place called Hope, you know, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But it certainly doesn't look realistic. Um, so is there any way I, – I, I said the only way it could be a disappointment because it's Porter Moser's first year at OU, and I, I think it's still an excellent hire. But if somehow, you know, you lose to West Virginia, you, you lose to Kansas State, and you end up with a – record below 500 that's that's the only way I think you could call it a disappointment or am I wrong in my assessment there no I, I completely agree I think this year was going to be was going to be kind of tough for a lot of reasons like you said it, it's Porter Moser's first year this this team was kind of put together from scratch with, with not a whole lot of time to do so uh, and, and they, they got off to that great start you know that 12 and 3 start that I think was a little misleading uh, just because, I mean, they it, they had some good wins in that stretch that looked good at the time. I mean, Florida, uh, neutral side against Arkansas. But, I mean, I, I think those teams haven't quite panned out to be what the preseason expectations were. And, and really, the truth is that this team has been competitive for a lot of Big 12 play. They've just lost some close games down the stretch. So I don't, I don't think missing the tournament would be – is a disappointment, but yeah, I think if they lose these next couple of games and and then flame out in the tournament, I do think that would be at least a little disappointing. Jesse, we appreciate you coming on with us, man. I think we've got a, a new star in the making here, uh, not just a print star, but a uh, a radio guest star here. And you know what? We created him, Parker. We that created we this monster. Is what we did. We Frankenstein <laughs> him together as a print star and a future. Radio star. I think he's here. I think he's arrived. No, I, I, I owe it all to you guys. And I, and I really, I mean, it's the Jesse's Girl intro that really pumps me up. Every <laughs> Parker yeah. is, uh, he's pretty good with us. He's really good with us. Thank you, Jesse. We appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. All right, Jesse Crinton joining us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We'll break right here and we'll come back. And uh, we'll hear from Porter Moser on the matchup tonight, Oklahoma, West Virginia, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Can the Sooners find the win column against the Mountaineers? They should. They should. Let's see if they can get it done tonight. We'll hear from the OU coach and from Tanner Groves when we get back.
Okay, getting ready to close it out here on a Tuesday. We have Locked In uh, with Parker and Tyler McComas coming up at the top of the hour and then the rush at 3 o'clock here on the home of Sooner Fans, Ref Radio Network. Good Tuesday to you if you're just joining us. Sooners and uh, West Virginia tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC on ESPN2. Oklahoma won the first meeting between these two squads in Morgantown. 72-62, Tanner Groves led the way with 21 points and six rebounds. That was a, that was a nice road dub for Oklahoma. Let's hear from uh, Sooner coach Porter Moser on the matchup tonight and uh, evaluating uh, this matchup. He says that, uh, you know, his Sooners actually played at a very high level in Morgantown. You know, Marvin made some good plays. Jacob Grove made some good plays. Bijan made some good plays. So we got a lot of depth from that game. And if you remember, Ethan Shagwar didn't play. He was out as well. So, you know, he's he's in the lineup. Um, you know, AK got in there. But we got a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys. Um, I remember Marvin and um, Jacob, uh, Jalen, and, you know, uh, Bijan all made a bunch of good plays that game. Mo made a bunch of good plays that game. So you can see when we win, we get, we get help from multiple guys, and that's just the way we are. All right. Uh, Tanner Groves, I thought, played very well in the Bedlam game, and the Sooners survived, winning in overtime nearly, uh, blew it in regulation. But uh, the Sooners regained their composure and won the game in overtime, and Tanner Groves hoping that's a good uh, sign for the rest of the season for OU. Yeah, man, I mean – we're just battling. I mean, you know, usually it's the team that that uh, that kind of makes that late push and forces overtime that usually comes out on top. But, you know, we, we stuck together. We battled and, you know, we, we didn't let that run affect us and, and we just kept grinding. And, you know, it was just a huge win for us to come out with, uh, you know, end the losing streak and, you know, hopefully get hot here at the end of the year. But no, it means a lot that and it just shows, you know, a testament to, you know, the culture and in, in our group and, and, uh, you know, and just how bad we want to win. Tanner Grove still leads Oklahoma in scoring this season, 12.1 points per game, which is pretty yeah. remarkable considering that he hasn't been scoring a whole heck of a lot lately. No, no. And, uh, you know, and things change for him, I think, in conference play a little bit. He's, he's had a good year. He, I would say, you know, kind of, what, what would you say? A good year, decent year for Tanner Groves? It's a streaky year. Yeah, a very that's a up good way. and down year. That's a good way to put it. I, I think he plays hard, and uh, I think maybe the expectations were a little out of whack because of the game he had against Kansas in the NCAA tournament. But he's playing against bigger guys and uh, more highly skilled guys, obviously, than he's ever played against before at this level. Uh, but I, I think he plays hard. I, I think he. Uh, I love what he said about mental health to uh, open up his uh, Zoom. Uh, you know, interview session with the writers the other day. I thought that was really cool. So, by the way, though, one thing, once the Zoom press conferences go away, the world will be a better place. I agree with you. Because the audio is just horrific. Uh, I mean, it's just not good. And a lot of times the video is less than standard. I understand why we've done it. But, you know, I hope there aren't a lot of SIDs and people around the country going, you know what, we just need to stick with this. No, you yeah. need better stuff. Yeah, I tell you what, TV reporters and photogs, their job has gotten a lot easier yeah. over the last two years, but it's also taken a sharp decline in quality. Oh, the quality is, I mean, some of the stuff, I, I guarantee you, I wouldn't be airing that back in the day. Uh huh. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the only it used to the be only that. way you can get it right now. Now, if you know, if if the uh, uh, the post game, you know, at the podium, that stuff's great. That's still fine. But the Zoom stuff, and I understand at least we're trying to do it and, and get the information out there. But that Porter Moser audio right there, I wouldn't be airing that. 
before the pandemic, I'd be like, man, can you give me some better audio? We can't put that on the air. I know it used to be that was, you know, that was a conversation that you'd be having with everybody in the room. Like, oh, do, do we do we air, do we air this? this? Well, it's this only is very, up. very yeah. clearly substandard. Are we really going to put this on television? And now today it's just like, well, yep, go ahead. Throw yeah. it on there. So, again, and I look, I don't think the listeners, yeah, you know, care about that a ton. But no, they'll take what they can get. We, we would love to give you some better audio. That's why whenever I have a chance to get post game, I'll get T Rose post game, you know, with Porter because it's always going to be good. It's always, well, he asks really good questions. The audio is going to be top notch. So I try and get that. I'm always, TJ, where's the audio? So, anyway. All right, uh, so tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. It's a big week, man. You've got Bedlam basketball tomorrow night. Jenny Baranchek and company going to Stillwater to play the Cowgirls. Huge gymnastics matchup. Number one versus number two, Oklahoma and Michigan, Friday night, 745 at the Lloyd Noble Center. K.J. Kendler and company trying to beat the Wolverines on the mat. And uh, that's going to be huge. That's going to be on ESPN, too, by the way. But get on out there and support the Sooner women uh, coming up on Friday at the Lloyd Noble Center in that meet against Michigan. Man, those gymnasts, they are unbelievable. I have so much respect for the, the gymnasts and what they go through and how they train and, you know, some of the, uh, the risk in some of the events. It's just kind of like – we watched, uh, yes, I'm a whiny little soy boy, you know it, the, the series Cheer on Netflix, which goes through Navarro Junior College, and they also, it's uh, Trinity Valley, their rival, uh, and how they bring in all these chop, uh, top cheerleading prospects and all the, you know, the lifts they do and the throws they drew and everything. I'm telling you what, man, that's tough stuff, and they are, they are really good athletes, big time, major props. That's uh, – I don't think I could do a cartwheel. I know I couldn't now. Could you do one back in the day at any point? I think I've cartwheeled maybe twice in my life, and that was, I think one was after a six, maybe a 12-pack back in college. Didn't turn out very well. Okay. And then once as a kid, and I pulled that one off. I wonder if I could still cartwheel. Naturally, being at the stage I am in life, I haven't tried cartwheeling in many years. Yeah, but there's no reason to try and cartwheel. No, no there's in fact, not. see, because, and you don't drink either, so there's no way you're going to attempt a cartwheel. I mean, you drink the good stuff, the pure stuff, not the adult stuff. So you're not going to go, I need a good, watch this, guys, here's a cartwheel. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, thanks to the uh, folks at the Seth Wadley Auto Group. You've got Locked In coming up next. Have a great Tuesday.
Well, I'm starting to formulate my wish list for the massive recruiting weekend that is taking place in Norman this weekend. And, Parker, I've really started to settle on Dylan Edwards being a high priority for me when it comes to this weekend. Now, that's a good place to start, right? Because it is very possible that Dylan Edwards commits while he's on campus this weekend. I I guess the thing that has me the most excited uh, excited about this kid, is he the highest-ranked kid that's going to be in town this weekend? No. No, far from it. 24-7. Far from it. Has him at just a three-star on his offer list. He's got a lot of offers, but... There's not a whole lot of blue blood programs outside of OU. I don't think there are any blue blood programs outside OU that's offered him. But the thought of having that type of player at OU uh, sounds like a lot of fun because they really haven't had a guy that is, you know, five foot nine, a speedster, maybe one of the fastest guys in this entire class. And, you know, the comparisons of uh, Percy Harvin or, you know, Darren Sproles, someone like that, that's probably going too far at this point. But in terms of body type, that might be what he's like. I can't remember the last time OU's had someone like that, Parker, that not only was a smaller back, but is probably going to factor in at other positions offensively as well, like wide receiver. Yeah, he's a very unique commodity. And you think back across the long and decorated history of OU football, there really isn't an apples-to-apples comparison that you can think of. You know, a lot of people have made the Quentin Griffin comparison. Sure, maybe in stature that comparison makes sense. In terms of skill set, I don't know that it does. Some have said Roy Finch. But Roy who, didn't play, like, wide receiver. No. You, no, I mean, he didn't. And that's kind of the difference here, and what I'm really talking about is he's going to play multiple positions if he ends up at OU. Yes, and so... No, in that sense, when you look at what Dylan Edwards brings to the table in terms of his physical makeup and his skills, there really hasn't been a player like him that's ever worn the crimson and cream. And so that gets you super excited as to what he's going to bring to the program if and when he commits to Oklahoma. Yeah, well, um, I I still continue to feel pretty good about that one, and uh, hopefully he's one of the lock emojis this weekend. And I'm staying strong at the over on two and a half this weekend, by the way. We set the over under. I'm still going with the over. I say that there's three commits. Is there anything that's happened in the past 24 hours that makes you doubt that a little bit, me going on the over? It's hard. Um, I mean, it's hard to really tell that now until the weekend happens. In terms, okay, so yeah, I would say yes. I'm trending more in the direction of the over than the under, if only for the fact that uh, I was able to confirm significantly more names yesterday. So we're looking right now in the neighborhood of 30 guys that are going to be on campus. So three commits isn't that far out of the realm of possibility. And by the way, I like – Full disclosure, I'm not at liberty to disclose some of these names yet. Maybe tomorrow I'll be able to drop some of them, but oh boy. Impressive. There are some big boys Nice that are coming to town. Nice. Spread out across uh, the country, I'm guessing. Geographically diverse. Because that's one thing we talked about last week with this massive recruiting weekend. Uh, You got Colorado covered. You're going to have Kansas covered. You got Texas covered. You're going to have Florida covered. You've got a a lot of states (laughs) represented in this massive uh, recruiting weekend. Another guy on my wish list, and I was looking on On3 today, Jacoby Johnson. And he's a guy that we've routinely talked about. He made a massive jump in in, in their rankings, Parker. 38th overall player in the country. Uh, He was ranked like um, 
in the 100 somewhere. Now the number 38 overall player in the country. Number one player, they have him ranked in the state of Oklahoma. He is listed as an athlete. Um, yeah, high priority. He, he has a Bama offer, too, much like Cole Adams. He, I believe he's got a Bama offer, right? I think he does. Jacoby, yes, he just picked up that Bama offer a few days ago. So, no, I mean, Jacoby Johnson is a guy that Oklahoma's been the leader in the clubhouse for for quite some time. I've had a crystal ball in since last July, and I expect he'll be a Sooner. The interesting thing is I want to see where he ends up playing positionally, whether he ends up playing defense or whether he ends up playing offense, because it's not often, Tyler, that I will say a guy of his stature and – with his dexterity and agility, is better suited to play wide receiver than defensive back, just because you get so few defensive backs that are six foot three and can move like Jacoby Johnson. And so I think he has a lot. I think physically he has the chance to be more of a unicorn at defensive back yeah. than he would be a wide receiver. But if you've watched him play wide receiver, man, that is a dude that just has it. He is a natural receiver. He was born with those tools and those talents. And to me, I actually favor him on the offensive side as opposed to defense. Six three one seventy is what he's listed at, but we got a new staff here. With the previous staff, and I know Billy Bowman was a little bit different, Parker, but it seems like with the previous staff, if there was a question on if a guy was going to play offense or defense, well, with an offensive-minded head coach, Felt like more times than not, they were just going to put him at wide receiver instead of defensive back. But now, with a defensive-minded head coach, but with a head coach that still wants to be you know, really explosive offensively, does that kind of change on you know, where they want to put certain guys listed as athlete? Too early to tell, I don't know, but that will be kind of an interesting, interesting thing to watch with a guy like Jacoby Johnson, who's a top... 50 player in America. Yeah, it will be, and, I, and I would tend towards I, – I would think that Oklahoma recruits him more to the defensive side than the offensive side just because uh, they're going to be in the mix for so many elite receivers down the line. Of course, we have Kendall already blowing up the Air Comfort Solutions text line about Cole Adams, but uh, another name you'll want to write down and a guy that will be in town for a visit this weekend, Tyler Jaquez Petaway. Okay. Top 50 overall player wow. in the class of 2023 out of Langham Creek, Texas. I believe the number six wide receiver in the nation per the 24-7 sports composite. So, look, I like where Oklahoma sits with, Jay, with uh, Jalen Hale. I've said that before. But when you start to get into March and April and guys are starting to take visits again, what you really want to see is if they're going to walk the walk as opposed to just talking the talk. They can tell you all the right things. But unless they're getting back on campus with you, and if they're not getting back on campus with you, that leads me to be a little bit more skeptical. And so I'm, I'm kind of getting into that territory with Jalen Hale where maybe I'm a little bit more skeptical of where OU truly stands with him than I was a month ago. He's visiting Alabama this weekend, by the way, not Oklahoma. Ooh. But uh, they're getting Jaquay's pet away in town, and they've got Ashton Cozart committed. They're going to be in the mix for several of these guys at the wide receiver position. I don't think I, – I still think they're solidly in the mix for Hale, and if they don't lead, they're still right there at the top. But it it kind of makes me wonder, are we taking the Cole Adams offer as a guarantee? I mean – Because I, – I, I, look, based on everything I've been told, I really want to believe that kid's getting offered, and I really want to believe it's happening in the month of March. But how high is he on the priority list right now? Obviously not 
not as much as we want him to be. No. Because they haven't even offered yet, and look at how many wide receiver offers they have out right now. I think they've got more total offers to wide receivers right now than they do any other position, and I don't even know if it's necessarily all that close, Parker. They're often offering wide receivers left and right, and and bigger wide receivers, six foot two, six foot three. I, I like my guess is the size is a little bit of a hangup for them. And I, I, I mean, whatever. I mean, if they want to go after a certain body type, that's fine. But I don't care, man. If you can play, you can play. I, I don't care how big you are. And if you want to, if you want to sign three or four other wide receivers, fine. I get. It. If you want to sign three or four guys that are six three and above, okay, great. Cole Adams particularly because he resides within state lines, he's one of the go- those guys that I feel like you make a spot for. Sure. You know? Yeah. You make a spot for him. If that means you take five wide receivers in this class, okay. But you got to take Cole Adams. Well, and I think people would be much more willing to forgive you if you take a chance. And, uh, I say take a chance. This kid's probably going to end up being a four-star player. Yes. He's got offers from Bama, Tennessee, you know, A&M, basically every single SEC school out there, he can play. But understand what I'm saying. I, people are more willing to forgive you if you take a chance on an in-state kid and it doesn't work out versus some random wide receiver from, you know, the, the state of Alabama or something that doesn't work out. Like, if it doesn't work out, okay, at least you tried with an in-state kid. But if he goes to Alabama and tears it up, then – that's um that that's going to be a little bit of a tough conversation to have and a tough sp- a pill to swallow, especially when it seems like he's just kind of sitting back and really waiting for that OU offer and really hoping that it comes. Oh man, that one's that one's going to suck for a lot of OU fans if he ends up going to Alabama in particular because Alabama likes Cole Adams a lot and Cole Adams likes Alabama a lot and he's visiting there this weekend. Yeah, so. If that courtship starts to uh, accelerate and maybe Alabama gets a commitment from Cole Adams sooner rather than later, man, they're going to be a lot of lot of, lot of fist shaking. Yeah, OU has an edge in this recruiting um, that yes. Alabama or no, no one else has here. But And I think what you're alluding to is correct. You can only have that edge for so long, Parker. Yes. And maybe it ends after this Alabama visit. If Bama just impresses him and he's like, oh my God, this is the place for me. At some point, even if you have the edge being the in-state school, uh, if someone else gets out to such a massive lead, you can't close that gap. Exactly. So you got to make a play. It burned Oklahoma last cycle with Chris McClellan. But as I look at the Chris McClellan situation – I take a look at what Oklahoma brought in along the defensive line in that 2022 class, and I think, well, you know what? Chris McClellan probably wasn't that big of a miss for Oklahoma in terms of ramifications down the line. And maybe we're having that conversation five years from now about the whole Cole Adams thing. Maybe they get Jaquay's pet away. And Ashton Cozart, we know he's going to stay committed, but maybe they get a guy like Jalen Hale. And we're talking about that legendary wide receiver class that they brought in in 2023, and all these guys turned out to be superstars. And we're going to say, remember when we all wanted them to offer Cole Adams? And maybe Cole Adams has become a good player down at Alabama or A&M or somewhere else, but who's to say that Oklahoma – I guess who's to say that Oklahoma isn't going to be – just fine at the wide receiver position with or without Cole sure. Adams. Because I think that's what's crucial to remember here. Do you want OU to give Cole Adams an offer? Sure. Would you like to see Cole Adams in an Oklahoma uniform? Sure. But it's not the end of the world if he doesn't end up in Norman, Oklahoma. 
particularly at the wide receiver position. 405-651-3439. Hit us up with your questions, comments on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll get to your text coming up next segment. Also, Dax Hill out of Booker T, according to 24-7 Sports, the last five-star to come out of the state with By Job making a massive rise in the rankings, with Jacoby Johnson making a massive rise in the rankings. Could we see our first five-star in-state since 2019? We'll talk about that and more coming up next. Right here on The Ref, we're the Homeless Sooner fans.
Locked in with McComas and Thune right here on the Ref Chapel Supply, bringing you this hour of Locked In. Tyler and Parker inside the Brown O'Haver studio on this Tuesday. Yeah, it's not every single year where a five-star prospect or five-star prospects are available in the state of Oklahoma, but a current a couple of current players have had recent rises, uh, teased it before the break by Job Jacoby Johnson, really shooting up the rankings right now. What's the likelihood, Parker, that we do have a five-star prospect in the 23 class in the state? I still think it's low just because I think the knock on by Job and the reason why he'll get close to five-star status but probably won't achieve it is because he plays small school ball. It's because he plays at Community Christian, yeah. right? If he if he were to transfer to a big 5A, 6A school, or you look at a place like IMG, for instance, obviously he goes there, gets more exposure, proves that he's capable of going toe-to-toe against elite offensive linemen. There's a bias that happens at times. Yeah, but it's also just it's harder to gauge how guys like that are going to translate, how their game is going to translate to the next level when they're not playing against elite competition. And look, by Job's game is going to translate. That's not a concern in my eyes. But I do think that's going to be the reservation for a lot of the national analysts that are evaluating Job. Is they're going to say, sure, he's good. Sure, he's physically impressive. But is he going to be as impressive when we put him against linemen that are 320 pounds and not 220? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there, there is a, a small bias there for sure. I, I don't know what his summer plans are in terms of what – you know, if he's going to go on kind of the circuit this summer or not, that's his and maybe his only chance to get a five-star. If he goes out to some of these events and is by far and away the best player or looks really good, that's where he gets his five-star. But you're probably right, not going to happen in the season when, you know, Community Christian's playing. And no disrespect to that at all. I just – we're talking about jumping to a four-star from yes. a five-star, and what you're saying is, is right about that. Yeah, look, five-star status is something that – 30 to 36 prospects every single year achieve so literally you have to be one of about the best 35 high school football players in the nation as a graduating senior in order to be a five-star so it is way easier said than done and you are splitting hairs oftentimes at the top really any guy within the top 100 could be a five-star based on evaluations from any individual analyst across the country. So for a guy like Jacoby Johnson, as well as by Job, I think both of those guys are going to be top 100 in the composite when it's all said and done. That's what my expectation would be. I don't know that either of them are five stars. But again, I also think that when you're looking at the gap in talent and the gap in ability between the top 35 players in the country and the other 65 that round out the top 100, it is minuscule. Sure, yeah, no doubt. In most cases. Jacoby, he he does play at Mustang, so he will get to play 6A1 competition here, so that will help him. You know, maybe he's got a chance. I, I wonder if there's, you know, we talk about bias. I wonder if there's a bias slightly against Oklahoma kids when it comes to getting that five-star ranking. Now, again, that not five-star players aren't just littered across the state every single year. That does not mean that there's not great talent in the state. There is, but maybe Jacoby Johnson could be a guy that deserves the five-star, and maybe if he was in the state of Georgia or Alabama or Florida, he gets that, but maybe in a state like Oklahoma, he doesn't. I, I don't know, just kind of like thinking out loud here if there's a small bias you know, uh, when it comes to what high school you play at or what part of the country you're in. I I think it just has to do with region. That's really what it comes down to because the vast majority of five stars that you see annually 
will come from the southeast, they'll come from Texas, or they'll come from California. Sure. And that's not a coincidence. Right? That's where the best high school competition across the nation is. And, you know, I go back to the conversation uh, surrounding the talent that you are up against on a week-to-week basis. You know, it's not necessarily that you're not as impressive if you play in a state like Oklahoma as if you play in a state like California or a hotbed like Houston. But people who are evaluating your talent get a better sense of how your game is going to translate to the next level if you are playing week in and week out as well as on the camp circuit in 7v7, that type of environment, against the best of the best as opposed to guys that you're already clearly better than. I do think that if there – if there's a five-star in the state this year, it would be one, not two. And I think those two guys are most likely to get that five-star. Luke Haas is really good. There's no doubt. And he plays he plays big-time football in the uh, high school football in the state of Oklahoma as well. But I think if we're talking about a five-star kid, probably not Luke Haas, probably not Cole Adams. I think it would be by Job or Jacoby Johnson. I absolutely agree with you. And I think if I had to pick between the two, I would say it's by Job just because he projects – so well and his his skill set is tantalizing man what that dude could be three to four years down the road we're talking about a guy that has an all-american ceiling and not to say jacoby johnson doesn't but you don't five you don't find guys with by job's physical makeup in every single cycle and there's a guy that's very physically similar to by job in sean davian bradley a guy that i've uh, touched on this show a time or two uh, that plays his high school ball up in Missouri. There's a very good chance he picks up his fifth star tomorrow uh, when we do our next rankings update at 24-7 Sports. It's those types of guys that are tall, have that six foot five, six six frame coming off the edge, have speed, have dexterity, and that are just the right amount of raw so that it gives you some idea of how you can improve their game and how they can continue to develop the finesse required off the edge. When you get a guy like that that fits the mold of an elite edge rusher and you know that he's already very impressive, but he's also got a little bit more growth as a football player to achieve, that's when you have the makings of a guy that you would generally feel comfortable slotting in that top 100. And hasn't even been playing football for four years now. Exactly. Um, An exchange student, if you're not familiar with him, Moved here in eighth grade, began playing uh, football midway through his freshman season. Uh, what he thought football was uh, rugby? Is that what he thought football yep. was when he first got here? And that's what I think has a lot of people excited is that he's already considered by some to be a top 50 player in America, and he's just now figuring out the sport. I mean, what what could the ceiling be if he really, really, really develops as a big-time football player. It's it's, it's exciting to think. And I think the other reason why people are so excited about By Job is because the edge rusher is kind of considered the future. Sure. Right? It's the flashy player defensively Yes, yes. It's it's the guy that, you know, has that intriguing combination of size and speed in general. He can play linebacker. He can put his hand in the dirt. He's versatile. He's athletic. And he can beat you with size or strength. So – when you find a guy that you believe has the potential to be an elite edge rusher, generally that type of guy is going to stand out versus players of a similar caliber and a similar talent level that maybe play other positions. By Job got an Alabama offer too. Bama is just invading yep. the state this year, yep. man. And this isn't just you know two guys in the state of Oklahoma that Colin Cowherd would make fun of saying like, oh yeah, they're just – 
you know, trying to hype up the in-state kids because that's what you do at a Norman, Oklahoma radio station. You just overhype the kids in the state of Oklahoma. Well, Alabama doesn't think that they're overhyped. Alabama's got three offers out right now to 2023 kids in state. You think that's Alabama returning fire? Probably because so. Brent Venables and Todd Maybe Bates are so. making such a big play down there. Maybe so. I hope so. I hope they're feeling the heat down there. I want to say that. But you brought up region earlier, and that's something that I also wanted to get into because for so long in recruiting, it's been okay, Texas, Florida, California, take your pick. Those are the those are the three areas where the most talent is at. Yeah. And Texas, that is still true. Florida, it may be even more so true than it used to be. But when I'm looking at some of these, you know, on 300 rankings and where all these prospects are split out, Texas with 51, the most. Sure. Florida with 47, the second most. Georgia now has made a huge jump. They're up to 33. Uh California at 21. Now, California still has a lot of talent, don't get me wrong. But I feel like, Parker, in the past decade or so, California has really taken a dip on just the overall depth that the state has with football talent year in and year out. It has gotten a bit more sparse, I'll say that. And that's not to say that blue-chip talent is disappearing from the West Coast, because it's not. And that's one of the reasons why Muleshoe has to be excited about his new gig, because now he can build the pipeline via guys like Malachi Nelson and Mikhail Lemon. But I think you're right, Tyler, in that increasingly you are starting to see a concentration of the nation's elite recruiting talent in the Southeast. And that's why I think it's going to be so dangerous <laughs> when the new SEC takes shape and all of a sudden Texas is SEC territory too. Yeah. Because the new SEC now includes the Southeast and the South Central. And there is going to be a wall built around that region of the country, and it's going to be very difficult for any program outside the SEC to break into. Yeah, you're you're not going to uh, you're not going to invade that fortress in the southeast. And in fact, I think that the SEC schools are going to consistently be on the offensive, straight due north into the Ohio area, into the Michigan area. If there's talent up north, they're they're going to keep the talent in the southeast, but. If there's talent to be had out there on the East Coast or up North, they are going to frequently invade. And I think those Big Ten schools, those ACC schools, are going to have a tough time fighting off those that SEC talent, man. Good luck with it. From the Air Comfort Solutions sex line, Tyler, stop giving the West Coast SC homer slash talking head airtime. No matter what, don't mention this dude. That is all. That's from Las Vegas Sooner. Yeah, he put out a uh, very creepy video earlier today that you will hear at the top of the uh, 3 o'clock hour, unfortunately. Also, uh, from the Air Comfort Solutions text line as well, Parker, I told my buddy, rumors are not true that you're taking a sports talk radio show gig back home in Nebraska. Can you back me on this? Oh, are you going (laughs) back to Omaha? (laughs) So now I've become the subject of... The zone oh, is is that what it is in Omaha? Yeah, the stations up there. The zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I some buddies up, up there. I grew up listening to that and uh, the ESPN station, which I believe is AM five ninety in that market. But uh, yeah, no. To put any to put any and all of those rumors to rest, I am not going to be the next sports talk radio host in Omaha, Nebraska. Well, how did that rumor get started? I have no idea. Man. Oh, I thought <laughs> that was the like first you, I've heard. Of it. I thought you put out like a lock emoji out on your Twitter page <laughs> or something like that. That's what people are saying. Oh man, I, I don't know. I don't know how welcome I would be up there at this point. Well, f- from like a professional standpoint, like your career, our career, 
like, yeah, sure, there's nothing like going home. I mean, I, I am home, and I never plan to leave here. But, like, exciting days are ahead for, like, going into the SEC. Like, I don't feel like, like Omaha would be a fun market, but this is a much better market right now with everything that's going on here yeah. than, what, than what's going on yeah, in Nebraska. Yeah, as much grief as I've given Nebraska and Scott Frost in particular, they're probably not eager to hear my voice and my opinions up there. You don't leave Oklahoma! Well, unless you're Muleshoe. Muleshoe's the only guy that leaves Oklahoma. But yeah, you don't leave it right now. It's, it's going great, man. No, Things are about look, to get even better. I, I'm about to be an SEC beat reporter. It doesn't get any better. It just means more down here. Your dream has finally come true, man. Hey, Bob Stoops is going to join us uh, coming up next hour at 320. Always fun to chat with him on Tuesdays. But more to come next. More of your text on the other side of the Air Cover Solutions. Text line 405-651-3439. More to come next.
Chapel Supply bringing you this hour of Locked In with McComas and Thune. Chapel supplies you. They supply you with the tools to tackle any power washing job, residential or commercial. They can also service all brands of power washers. Come let Chapel Supply you. Located at 6509 West Reno Avenue in Oklahoma City. Yeah, Kendall not happy right now. He's saying, fine, whatever. Cole will just go to Alabama and dominate. Uh, what's the air comfort solution text line saying about that situation? Yes, Kendall texted us and said, when's the lock emoji coming out for Cole Adams? Oh, wait, he hasn't been offered. Mm. He's He's got some, uh, I don't know if he has some skin in the game on this one, but he's taking it pretty personally. Who is Kendall's man crush? Is it Ben Harris or is it Cole Adams? What if Ben Harris transfers to Alabama and they become the most fearsome you know, one-two duo in all accounts. Oh, football. boy. I mean, Kendall is on record predicting that Ben Harris is going to be a first-round draft pick. So maybe mm-hmm. the uh, maybe a transfer to Alabama would do it for him. Yeah. Anything else on the uh, text line? One listener says, Why do you repeat hot takes from Coward until he gets more viewers than Gunsmoke reruns? Uh, Did we repeat a hot take made today by Cowherd? I don't know. Uh, I, I, when I was on with Steely earlier, we played the stupid cigar smoking. <laughs> clip. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was bizarre, man. Like that was, that was it's weird. just it's just become bizarre. Yeah, like it was weird at first. Then it started to get weirder. Now it's just full on bizarre. Yeah, it is bizarre. Feel still. This is his preseason rankings of what he thinks the AP poll is going to be. Okay, right? I'll explain that again. So Phil Steele has. His rankings of what he thinks the preseason AP poll is going to be. So, so hang on, hang on. This is not his opinion. This is his opinion of what everyone else's opinion will be. <laughs> it's good, correct, yes. Bama, he says, will be number one preseason. Understandable. Georgia will be number two. Mm, I think Georgia will be like number three. Yeah, I'd whatever. say Ohio State at two. Ohio State at three. Clemson at four. <laughs> hey, what, what? What? A&M at five. Notre Dame at 6, Michigan at 7, Utah at 8, Oklahoma at 9, and Oregon at 10. I love the confidence, Phil, but if the AP thinks like everyone else is in the country, uh, OU will be lucky to start in the preseason AP Top 25 to start the year. Apparently, Phil has not read all the uh, national headlines this offseason. I hope he's right. I, I hope OU starts off the year in the Top 10, but I don't know. With all the garbage that I've read in the past two months, I'm. I, it's fascinating to me to see Clemson at four because, in my eyes, either I am the biggest idiot of all time, and I just live under a rock and don't see something that every other member of the college football media sees, or Clemson has no business being at four. You know what these preseason rankings are, especially by the AP? It's not necessarily who's going to be the best team. It's a tier system of where each program ranks. Like, Clemson is ranked number four right now because they've been really good the past, what, seven, eight years or so. That's, that's what it is. I, I, I just can't fathom how a program coming off a 9-3 and three regular season didn't even play for the ACC championship, quarterback situation was a mess, they lost both coordinators in the offseason, and yet all of a sudden they're going to turn around and be a top-five team in college football in 2022? I don't buy that at all. Interesting how that narrative is different than OU, right? I, it's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. OU, I, I, OU actually had a better year than Clemson did last year. They were both disappointing years, but OU had a better year. OU got the best part of Clemson's staff outside of Dabo 
yet Clemson will be just fine, and OU is going to be the one that takes a massive dip. Peyton, via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, I predict Utah being this year's Iowa State. They're such a popular dark horse that they'll end up having a mediocre season compared to expectations. Yeah, so that's that's a good point, Peyton. I, I bring this up quite often, and I brought it up with Iowa State last year, is I always doubt programs that don't normally have high preseason aspirations dealing with those high expectations going into the season. We've seen it before with Ole Miss. Uh, we saw it in, what was that, 2012? Was that 2012 with Arkansas? I think they were like picked to win the SEC, and they ended up going 5-7. and seven. Iowa State last year. Like When you go through an entire offseason with people saying, hey, Utah's going to be pretty good next year. They're going to be really good. Those programs don't normally know how to deal with expectations, and it shows. Another perfect example, and I guess I'm going to end up throwing a little bit more shade at Nebraska here. They were picked to win the Big Ten West in 2018. Really? Or 2019 it was. Wow. They were the preseason favorite to win the Big Ten West, and Adrian Martinez was getting Heisman odds after coming off what I think was was a 4-8 and season the year before. (laughs) Jeez. Needless to say, they did not win the Big Ten West, nor did they come close. Or a bowl game. No, and they did not play (laughs) in a bowl game. And needless to say, Adrian Martinez certainly was not in the Heisman picture by week six of the season. Yeah, uh, so... Nine for OU. Oregon was 10, by the way, if I didn't say that. I think OU will be better than Utah next year. Um, I think OU will be better than Texas A&M. I made the comment yesterday that, you know, normally when you're a big-time coordinator and you leave for another job, you know, normally you're leaving for a worse-off situation. Yes. I think that Brent Venables is actually leaving one situation. I think he's very possibly in a better situation as a head coach than what he just left as a coordinator. And I know that sounds crazy to say because Clemson's been on a nice run and that normally doesn't happen with coaching changes, but I don't know. I feel like I can make a pretty compelling argument. OU's in a better spot now moving forward than what Clemson is. And I think I would agree. And that's probably that probably is part of the reason why Brent Venables was content to sit back on his haunches for so long and just be a defensive coordinator. Because he wasn't waiting for just any opportunity to be a head coach. He was waiting for the opportunity, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And that's something you hear every new coach say when they take a new job, right? This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And in most cases, it's not, okay? Duke is not a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. To be the head coach at the University of Oklahoma... Yes, that is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We watched the uh, the blind side at our house last night, and Ed Ogeron is the head coach at Ole Miss in the movie. And he walks into the Tui house, and he says, Thank you, man. Ole Miss is my dream job. But I heard him say LSU is his dream job multiple times at his previous stop. So, yeah, every job is everyone's dream job, you know. And Ogeron's role in that movie was very sensationalized because he'd actually, when the the movie got filmed, he'd actually already been fired at Ole Miss. He'd been gone for a year or two, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh God! Houston Nutt ended yep. up being the head Lou coach for Holtz Michael. Lou Holtz made a cameo <laughs> yeah. in that movie. Too. Saban did. Phil Fulmer. I there was a scene in the movie where you know all these college coaches are there. Clemson's there. South Carolina's there. LSU, who is you know two one or two years off of a national championship, was there. But then in the movie, Philip Fulmer walks out there, and all the other assistant coaches are like, "Oh God, it's ball game now." Oh, Phil Fulmer showed up like. 
I understand that Tennessee won the national championship in 98, and they continue to be pretty good in the very early stages of 2000, but they made it seem like, oh, God, the god of football himself, Phil Fulmer, just walked out. Well, we might te- as well all Because Tennessee was the villain in that movie, it's right? Like, whoa, okay. I will not wear that gaudy orange. It's a really, really good movie. I enjoyed it. It's my favorite movie of all time. Seriously? Yes, without question. Favorite movie of all time? Yes. Even in front of Dumber and, Dumb and Dumber? Yes, I've actually I, I never have seen Dumb and Dumb. Oh my gosh, Parker, come on, man! We'll have you a movie a free, night some dude, night at you the, had a, uh, the ref studio. You had a free weekend, like we'll we got to get you caught up on that one. Uh, yeah, nine nine at OU, I'd have them a little bit higher. Hey, call me a homer, whatever. That uh, wouldn't be the first time. I think OU's got a great chance to make the college football playoff next okay, year. Okay, now firecracker eating Frank. I hey, that's what most people nationally would call me, but I don't honestly, I don't know how you. Why you wouldn't think that they have a chance at the college football playoff? Okay, did they lose some some talent to the NFL draft? Yeah, absolutely. But guys, they're the most talented team in the Big 12 next year, and they have the easiest schedule out of any of the other contenders out there. The easiest schedule. Easier than probably Clemson's schedule next season. So to think that this team can't go 11 and 1 or 12 and 1. I I just that is definitely in the cards and, for next season. And you, you realize the difference between their two toughest games this coming season as opposed to their two toughest games last season. They're being played at Owen Field this year right. as opposed to in hostile road environments. So, I mean, whatever. I I know OU's not getting love for uh, college football playoff. That's fine, whatever, but I um I definitely think that they're a contender. Yes, in year 1 of Brent Venables. All right, we'll take a timeout. Final segment of Locked In coming up next, right here on The Ref for the Homeless Sooner fans.
All right, final segment of Locked In. Bob Stoops joining us next hour on The Rush at 320. Be sure to check that out. Love our Tuesday chats with Coach Stoops. This hour is brought to you by Chapel Supply. If you're looking for a new career, let Chapel Supply you. Apply online today at chapelsupply.com. TCU on the verge of uh, taking a nice little hit to their coaching staff, man. Rashad Samples, who is a big-time up-and-comer He's in moving the again? Well, he... The L.A. Rams, they're interviewing him for the running back's job. That's the report out Interesting. Today. That would be a big-time hit for TCU because that guy can recruit. Uh, what He was at SMU last year. He was at SMU year, previously. And yep. uh, he's been known now for a couple of years as you know a, a young up-and-comer. He is, make no mistake, he is the linchpin of TCU's recruiting efforts and really is the linchpin of their 2022 class that they signed after that new staff arrived on the scene and he was similarly the linchpin at SMU so that is that is a big hit to TCU a lot more than a lot of people realize if Rashad Samples leaves when Rashad Samples was it at oh, was at SMU especially those those past two years those last two years you know you started seeing OU and SMU in a recruiting battle I know like what like why is SMU in a recruiting battle with this school late and it's because you know they had Rashad Samples and a staff that was you know doing some nice things out there Air Comfort Solutions text line, Parker has been canceled until he watches Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Parker isn't allowed to comment again until Dang! he watches Dumb and Dumber. It is my favorite movie of all time. Really? But we'll, we'll get him to watch it, guys. Don't worry. Okay. I just, guys, hope, I just hope that humor is not beneath you because, uh, I don't know, I wear this proudly. The, uh, that, the Jim Carrey humor... The Chris Farley humor, the Adam Sandler humor of that era, that's that's still my jam. That's I've never been much of an Adam Sandler guy, but I do like Jim Carrey. I'm a fan of Jim Carrey. Have you ever seen a series of unfortunate events, the movie with Jim Carrey? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, see. His Count Olaf is one of my favorite characters of all time. I'm more of uh, me, myself, and Irene, Dumb and Dumber, like I said, the cable guy, like this, this, the really stupid, like not even intelligent comedy. Yeah, gets me every time. Not afraid to admit it. Yeah, just, I, I'm kind of hit or miss on that because I never really was a fan of Napoleon Dynamite. Oh like, no! I see. I love Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, see, I watched Napoleon Dynamite, and you know, I'd heard the buzz about it for years and years. At that point, I was just like, "This, this is it." But I'll, Nacho Libre, I love Nacho Libre. I'll, I'll give it to you a little bit on Napoleon Dynamite. Wasn't a fan the first time I watched it, but the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the thirtieth. In the in the forty, I was like, "Yeah, this is amazing." Yeah, we recently watched that one at the house a few months ago as well. Anything else on the uh, text line here? Uh, anything of vast importance? Let's see. Um, Anyone else calling this a must-win game for OU basketball tonight, or are we all no, on board that this is a must-win? Yeah, I think we're all we're all on board with that. I would say we haven't even really touched on OU hoops yet, but. Uh, another 6 o'clock tip this evening at the LNC. The home finale for Porter Moser. Last home game of the season. And it's a game they should win. Right? It's a game they absolutely, unquestionably, unequivocally should win. Because they beat West Virginia handily on the road in Morgantown. The Mountaineers are 3-13 and in Big 12 play. If you win this game, you stay afloat, you give yourself a chance to go to Bramlage Coliseum this weekend, get a third straight win, and put yourself in position to build some momentum heading into the Big 12 tournament where you can hope to play yourself back into the tournament field. 
if you lose tonight, you don't deserve to go to the tournament. No, and you you won't. This that will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You will be out of uh, you'll be out of tournament contention, and quite frankly, you will deserve it. Yeah, OU has some games coming up here that if you lose, you can't complain about not being in the dance. Now, I I know it's hard to win on the road in this league, and we've seen firsthand how hard it is to win in Manhattan. But I would throw at Kansas State this time of the year in a very similar category. If you don't beat West Virginia at home, you don't deserve to go to the tournament. If you if you can't go on the road this late when the games are this important to beat Kansas State, you probably don't deserve to be in it as well. So you got a couple golden opportunities coming up. I say Kansas State's a golden opportunity. OU probably might be a slight underdog in that game. But you, you got to go out there and win this one. You know what I think the key is for Oklahoma? And this is probably, like, no one is going to expect me to say this. This is so far off the beaten path. I really think the key is getting C.J. Nolan healthy. And we don't know what his status is going into tonight's game. But, man, C.J. Nolan has shown me something in the minutes that he's gotten this season. And I think especially with Elijah Harkless down, Nolan is a guy that you've got to get strong performances from down the stretch. And I think he's a guy that's capable of delivering those strong performances for this team. I love what he does as a slasher. He can shoot the ball from the outside. He's got a very, very high ceiling, and you're just starting to see the first inklings of it. But he needs to have an expanded role for this team down the stretch if they're going to get to the tournament. OU a five-and-a-half-point favorite tonight over West Virginia. 77.3% chance to win, according to Basketball Power Index. Ethan Shagwall, Jordan Goldwire, Mo Gibson, Marvin Johnson, all going through Senior Day festivities, which in COVID years, especially in college basketball, in their situations, you would think, all four of those guys probably going to be gone. Yeah, you think year. most coming back? Because I don't. Just knowing going, that he's going, going through, through senior day. Yeah, if you're going through senior day like, festivities, that tells me you're on your way out the door. So we'll uh, we'll see if they can get the win tonight. I think OU's going to win. Is it going to be pretty? No. Is it going to be very sloppy at times? <laughs> it never is. Yes. This team. All right. It's going to be. It's going to be a win. It's going to be a stressful win. But I do think it's going to be a win at uh, or against West Virginia tonight at home. One thing you will never see this team doing is winning in picturesque fashion. But hey, they've won enough games to put themselves in position to perhaps make a late run back into the tournament field. Yeah, I guess they all count the same. All right, the rush coming up next right here on The Ref, Homeless Center fans.